Welcome to Candid Conversations with Dr. Mayfield. This episode is sponsored by Mayfield Counseling Centers, helping you find clarity, hope, and purpose. Call us at 719-452-4803. Here's your host, Trevor Sherry. Thank you for joining us. We are thrilled to have Susan Payne with us. Susan Payne is the Executive Director of Safe Communities, Safe Schools, and Safe to Tell for the State of Colorado Attorney General's Office and is has been in law enforcement for 28 years and is currently an agent for the state of Colorado. And we're thrilled to have you here because Susan's become a, a friend of ours and is doing some incredible things in the state of Colorado and beyond. Uh, so Susan, would you mind just explaining to our listeners what Safe to Tell is, what its mission and goal is? Sure, I'd love to. I would say it goes all the way back to... Um, learning lessons in hindsight of tragedies Um, and in being in law enforcement the one thing you realize when you respond to a tragedy is you're going to learn what happened you're going to find out what could have been prevented and in hindsight we know that most tragedies could have been prevented had the right people been informed of what was taking place and there could have been an intervention so really safe to tell the reason it's here is to provide a protected method of communication to remove the code of silence and to engage young people and other stakeholders in early recognition of concerning behavior or indicators that there's a problem so that we can prevent bad things from happening to children that's really summarizing it. So a little more sophisticated would mean that in order to do that, we needed to have an, a platform of anonymity. So by mm-hmm. law, we have an anonymous way for anyone to speak up, either by phone or mobile app or an online approach. And the goal is to really make sure that you connect pieces of the puzzle. So we're looking for an early intervention Um, an early recognition that someone needs help and the ability to prevent um, a greater tragedy from occurring. And we do that through um, really a pretty sophisticated platform of layers of protection and accountability to make sure that when information comes through, it goes out to the right jurisdiction, to the local school and law enforcement agency, um, and that there's that accountability that someone responded and looked into it and is following up. So if I, if I, I mean, past conversations that you and I have had, you've mentioned this came out of uh, really uh, the Columbine tragedy. Is that correct? Uh, is that when it kind of started or is that kind of what catapulted it into existence uh, more so? Well, and actually it came out of the Pikes Peak community. Um, okay. So I was a detective with the Colorado Springs Police Department and we had had several tragedies here and really we implemented the pilot. I was able mm-hmm. to start the pilot not only in El Paso County, but Teller County. Okay. And we incorporated education and engagement in all of the school districts. And we created an anonymous way to speak up if you saw concerning behavior or someone that needed help. And we were able to prevent over 200 tragedies. So actually two weeks before the Columbine tragedy, I spoke to state officials and I think two weeks later, the Columbine tragedy mm. happened. And even after that, the state immediately started a tip line. And that tip line was implemented. And after an assessment two years later, it was deemed to be ineffective. Okay. And that's where we knew we had to bring forth the comprehensive model that we had created in 
the Colorado Springs community. So offline, before we started, you'd mentioned that there was a there's a difference between a tip line and what Safe to Tell is. Help help our listeners understand uh, what the difference between just a plain old tip line is versus what Safe to Tell is and what what you do with you know safe schools and safe communities. So part of a tip line is really engaging young people. One, I think in an age-appropriate level, we have to teach young people how to keep themselves and others safe, whether it's in school or out in the community. And we want them to be aware of issues and be able to recognize concerns early because the earlier that we can intervene, we can prevent so much more Mm -hmm. and we can provide a system of support for someone that needs it. So really young people are the front lines. We've learned that throughout history. And the difference is having an education and curriculum that talks about those issues with young people and engages them to be part of the solution along with you know, a very sophisticated platform, the mobile app Mm -hmm. or the safe to tell online method of reporting social norms today. Young people would rather text it to you than talk about it. It's a very comfortable method of communication. Um, Also having a law that Mm. makes it anonymous. Mm. And that's where young people really have to trust that if I'm going to speak up that someone needs help, I know that I'm not going to be retaliated against. It's not going to be misinterpreted. Um, it's not going to be considered a betrayal. Um, so often it's meant as a, as a method of help. Right. And that's why it's used. So I think our, our ability to do all of those things and have the layers of protection that when it is emergent or imminent risk to life, we have the ability to get the right emergency responders going and the access through um, our watch center to get the right people there. And Susan, I have a, a thought that I'm sure I've heard about Safe to Tell before, and I want to get it out of the way uh, before we go too much further. But it's the thought of um, the opportunity that kids now have to bully each other through Safe to Tell or to misuse what Safe to Tell is trying to do. And I know that that uh, of all the people that I've talked to, that is the only complaint that I've ever heard. And I know that I've seen Safe to Tell work really well, but how would you explain how safe to tell goes about those situations where a kid is misusing this anonymous tool. So one week we take that very serious. So if someone is using it to harass or, or use it as a method um, and you can ascertain that it's being used for that purpose, that is a misuse of safe to tell. And we're going to work with local law enforcement and schools to try to determine what's taking place. But it also gives us the information that someone is a target. And how are we going to work together with the key resources to ascertain what's going on with that individual? So we have methods within the system to um, flag it, to um, communicate back, to block the person reporting it if we need to. But really with... um, the local law enforcement and the school officials, we're usually able to work through those. So we are we strategically count those. They're less than 3%. Wow. And um, when know. it does happen, we have procedures in place to work through it. And in the next year, we're really going to do a more robust effort with that to work together to see what we can work through and if there needs to be an exception in the law because we're certainly leading the way in this country yeah well i find it interesting that those that we talk about that bring that piece up that you just said um that for some reason they focus on that and i'm like if there's those bogus reports and yet we're still getting people you know i mean it's Uh 
I think right, when you look at the bigger the picture, you know, the benefit outweighs the cost. You know. Well, and what we do know is in the schools that we actually directly do engagement and education with students about, so we've done a research with pre and post survey questions with our academic, we have conversation jump starts, and we can see a 95% chan- change in mindset hmm. of a willingness to speak up early and hmm. that they recognize that it can prevent so much and provide a system of support. Um, and that really staying silent can be the betrayal of right. everyone. Right. Um, but in in schools that we do that, we have less than a 1% misuse rate, hmm. and in some cases, zero. So we know where we can do ed- education and really engage students as to why this is made possible. They really use it in the right way. Well, it's interesting. I'm doing research right now. I'm in the process of writing a book on suicide and self-injury and doing research on statistics and that kind of thing. And it's it's interesting to me that uh, that more states are not using this more organ, you know, co- you know, because what the national standard just or the national statistics just came out that suicide nationwide is up 33 percent. And you think logically, you you know, at least I try to be logical most times. Over, you put this together, going, you know, is it going to be this continued rise in suicide, or are we going to have? Is the nation going to take on this idea of safe to tell, and and we're going to, you know, will it plateau and go down? Um, but it's but there's a systemic issue too, right? I mean, it's not just and safe to tell is amazing because it gets people the help that they need, um, but also getting people the right to the right right caregivers for for support. Well, and here here it is. In my work as a police officer, a detective, as a team leader for hostage and crisis negotiation. The bottom line is, is we've had in this country uh, hotlines, hotlines where young people or adults or anyone that is in crisis can call, they can talk to someone, hopefully they can learn strategies of bringing themselves into a more healthy place. But there's a whole nother layer that's been missing, and that's the bystander, the people that recognize that someone is struggling or needs help. And the bottom line with young people today and the social norms, they communicate more with their peers than any teacher. Um, They know how to hide it from the adults. And when their peers are seeing it, they need to be part of the solution. And that bystander approach is what we're focusing on. So it's an added layer. And the interesting part of the data and what we get is an insight into what young people are saying. Hmm. And the number one thing they're reporting is friends that are suicidal. Hmm. Number two, kids that are using substances or drugs. Number three, bullying. Hmm. Number four, friends that are depressed. Number five, friends that are self-injuring. If you combined those that are reporting suicide, depression, or self-injury, we wouldn't even be able to put a graph together because it goes all the way off the chart. So when you look at those things, sometimes we focus on the umbrella language of suicide, but we really have to get down to educating young people about recognizing concerning behaviors Mm -hmm. and all of the things that play a part of that. Um, So if there's someone that's sad, we don't have to say depressed, but untreated depression is really what equals suicide in my eyes. So if we can intervene with someone that is struggling with a breakup, struggling with um, some sort of trauma in their life, disappointment, failure, or loss, mm-hmm. uh, and connect the right adults and resources that communities have, to me, that's the win-win. Absolutely. And what we want is a system of support for that individual to continue and to verify within the system that that takes place so that nothing falls through the cracks. 
I love it. I think that's I just it, it's interesting to me that more people haven't jumped on the bandwagon sooner. You know, it has to take another crisis or tragedy for people to go, oh, maybe we should have something. Because I see a tip line or a hotline just kind of going, you know, hello, how can I help you? And there's not any follow up or that connected connection to the right resources and the immediacy. Well, and part of it is sometimes people check the box. They want to do something really fast in the aftermath of a tragedy. It's heartbreaking for me as a mom to Mm. see the loss in Florida Mm -hmm. and to know that we could have prevented it Mm -hmm. and that there are infrastructures to prevent it and best standards, best practice standards of care. Um, How do we do that across this country? Because the realistic picture is a tip in Florida could prevent a tragedy in Colorado. There are no longer jurisdictional boundaries. Young people are communicating their online gaming with people from other states, other countries. We have prevented school shootings and suicides in other countries, other states. And as a matter of fact, four days after the Parkland tragedy, we prevented another school shooting in Florida due to a tip in Colorado. So what we really need is an infrastructure across this country Mm. to make sure that we're getting this right. And so I know for me, I get intimidated when we enter into a legislative or political realm because I feel like I have the opportunity to voice my thoughts and make something happen maybe once every couple of years when the polls open. Uh, And I know that there's more that we can do on the political front, but for the the teenager who may be listening or the mom, Mm -hmm. what kind of things can we begin to do today that can change that culture, that can build a culture that is going to be more productive towards prevention uh, than we have right now? So I guess number one off the top of my head would be have the conversation. We have to have the conversation about what are the issues young people are facing and we have to believe it can happen here. I think so often I've been trying to sell my whole career that you know, Columbine, Littleton, Colorado, could it happen here? Well, it did, and it can happen anywhere. But also kids that are struggling with depression or sadness, um, trauma, disappointment, failure, loss is likely to happen to your child. Mm -hmm. So you have to recognize it can happen here and you have to be informed. You have to have the conversation, but you also need to make sure that young people don't feel like they have to suffer in silence. And that goes for the people We have to change the culture. That's the number one thing. We have to shift the culture through the conversation. And we need to engage people to know immediately how to recognize a cry for help and how to connect the dots so that you can get that person help and to remove any of the social barriers that are in the way. Um, So I think that's one of the things that we've tried to do. And um, I think it's really worked. The lives that have been saved are tremendous. 2,600 suicidal children responded to last year alone Mm -hmm. that's an incredible number it's amazing and the heroes out there we'll never know right are the Mm -hmm. ones that took a stand and spoke up and reading their plea to get a friend help is some of the most amazing moments in my career well it's interesting i'm glad that you say talk about it because i think a lot of parents that we've worked with uh don't want to have those conversations with their kids because they're that that mindset is not going to happen in my house and i always come back with saying well, then let's make sure that it doesn't happen in your house. Have the conversation. <laughs> Have right? the conversation and focus on the the behavior. Sometimes what parents have a block in is talking about suicide, mm-hmm. that big word. Mm-hmm. Or, But if you talk about things that you know would be likely, 
the right. smaller words or the behaviors or the concerns of how is it, what's a healthy way to cope with the pressures you're feeling? Right. What's a healthy way to manage social stress? What are some of the things you're struggling with as a young person with a developing brain? I think putting yourself in their shoes mm -hmm. and taking the time to listen is one of the greatest things a parent can do. Absolutely. I second, third, fourth, and fifth that one because it's, it's amazing to me how scared parents can get with, I don't want to dive into that because my kid doesn't struggle with that. I don't want to talk about that because and I think a lot of it is more fear-based from the parent's standpoint. And so getting parents educated and helping parents with those conversations is, is a big deal. But I always, I mean, it sounds like you're saying the same thing. Sometimes just dive into the conversation and kind of make sense of it as you're wading through because uh, your kid's going to educate you in a lot of things too if you really have that relationship built up. Uh, when you take the risk as a parent to have that conversation and the kid then comes back, well, no, it's not this, but it's more like this. Now you've got an open door to have more of those conversations with your kids. And role play. I yes. like the idea. You know, my dad was a SWAT commander here and worked as a police officer his whole life. And um, Bill Thede, like to shout out because it was just Father's <laughs> Day. But I think it's important to role play with your kids. What mm -hmm. would you do if? And how would you feel if? Yeah. And also don't minimize it because the, all of us can remember heartbreak. Right. But as time goes by, it, it gets better and mm -hmm. we, it lessens. So when we put ourselves in their shoes and we add social media to the mix, mm -hmm. I think that is a tremendous burden in lives of children that we really don't know how to equate it. Um, I think we can try to understand, but what we really do is have to open up that conversation about how impactful it is and how when they're really struggling with something and they tend to dive into social media, it looks like everybody else's lives are perfect. Mm, right. And I think it just compounds the problem. Right. And it's important to just recognize that those issues and their pressures and the pressure they put on themselves and the outside pressures, we have to do an assessment and we have to continually do it as parents and we can't do it if we're not talking about it. And can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by role playing with our, our sure. kids? Well, I here's the thing is training law enforcement or for me, even in police work. Uh, one of the best ways we learn is through scenario-based training. Mm -hmm. So for young people in my career, I've had the opportunity to teach in elementary schools, um, DARE officer, high schools um, do a lot of crisis response work. And when you can go through with young people and teach them some even social skills, you can better prepare them for the future. So an age-appropriate thing, even for a four- or five-year-old with kid power, Jan Isaacs Henry in town, mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan. I served on the board for 10 years. Um, teaching them ways of understanding when you get to a safe adult and role-playing what you do when you get there and what might be a scenario of someone trying to probe the boundaries mm. of any age no matter mm. what your child's age is and asking them what would you do if someone right now offered you a beer it makes them think about what's their response going to be and to talk about it well we do that with our i, mean, I have two girls and we mm. do that with them a lot of of um, not so much like substance stuff but you know what if a guy comes up to you and or a girl comes up to you in the bathroom and says hey come with me or you know i mean different scenarios of right. kind of predatorial behavior and we don't point it out as that because i don't want to scare them but it's more of that what would you do in these scenarios and get some really good answers in that dialogue and uh, you want continues. to be able for them to establish for any of those things um, their own personal boundaries yes. and ways to communicate what they're not willing to do and 
even even adults struggle. Yes. Um, for example, adults will say, "Well, I don't know. I was at the Las Vegas shooting, for example, and you know, I sheltered in place. I laid on the floor, and then I kept. You know, they didn't know if they should run or they should stay, and they second guess when they did run that they bypass victims. These are the kind of things that when we work with children or any adult, if we can better do scenarios or drills or practice Mm -hmm. these kind of things, they can be better prepared to handle them in a way that they feel very confident about. And that's what helps them feel more self-assured. And it also helps in the recovery. They did all that they could. And I think it's uh, what I'm hearing too, is we're in a world nowadays where it's less of a far off if something could happen. And more of a, it's going to happen. We're going to have an interaction with a friend who is self-harming or suicidal or depressed or, or, or God forbid, we'll be in a situation where there's an active shooter. That's just kind of where we're at or we're going to be affected by it somehow. And so a lot of the fear that I know parents have is I don't want to introduce my child to something and have that be like expose them to the darkness of this world when they're never going to interact with it anyways. And I think that's built on a fallacy that we can protect our kids from what now could be considered a normal human experience. Well, I mean, one thing I see with that a lot of is just really helping parents going, what are age appropriate things you can introduce to your kids? Right. So from a four or five year old, you might not talk about mass shooting or suicide, <laughs> right? right? You're going to talk about what if somebody approaches you in the school parking lot and offers you to come with them because they've got candy in their car, right? Like, what do you do? You know? And if they say, well, I'm gonna go get the candy. Like <laughs> now you've got a conversation, right. but you know, it's just that then you ratchet it up at seven years old. It's like our, podcast when we talk about how do we talk to our kids about sex and mm-hmm. healthy sexual behavior it's the age appropriate conversation that starts young and works your way up to when they leave and and here's what i would say you know with all of these things and all of these things we could have probably a different conversation about um, sexual violence in children 93 percent of the time you're looking at someone that has gained and earned their trust um, so we have to be really strategic and we have to be well informed as to the true research and the facts as parents, but how well informed and how well equipped are our children. So the difference between success and failure is being prepared and teaching children um, how to do drills. We're doing that in schools, teaching them when they fly in a plane, what happens if the oxygen mask, we don't change that depending on the age, but I think we can do it in a healthy way at age appropriate levels and make sure that they're more, I want them to be able to recognize the world around them and to look around and to have that situational awareness. I'm sorry, I'm more law enforcement terminology, but I want them to have that situational awareness and realize they have strength in numbers. Who are, how do they have, um, how do they build on their resources and strengths? Staying with friends that have pro-social relationships, having positive, caring, committed adults in their lives. What parents need to realize is our children, no matter what we do, will face trauma. They will have disappointment, failure, loss, and I know I've said that a couple times. So how do we best prepare them with life skills and resiliency so that when it does happen, they they right away have a healthy framework of how to cope? Well, and what I'm hearing too is for the kid who goes through all of high school and doesn't experience a major traumatic event, but they've been trained, they've gone through scenarios, the drills, and they've had training and education around what if – there's an empowerment that comes from that of Mm -hmm. being strong enough in yourself and confident in, 
if something were to happen, I know what to do. And I hope that it never happens, but I know what I would do. And I, and I've drilled this and I have an understanding and I know where safe people are. Uh, and I know where my boundaries are. I think that is such a powerful tool that maybe we don't focus so much on, you know, the, what we're training against or, or doing drills for, but just that empowerment piece is, is, is a goal worthy of itself. And then you also have the ability to prevent and to uh, recover from certain things that happen as well. So I think there's just so much, there's so much to what you're saying. Uh, well, and that's so well said. I mean, what you just said is, I mean, critical because there's a healing property to being part of the solution, mm-hmm. but there's a preventative focus and to being part of the solution early on. And it and it still comes back when someone, despite all those things, is exhibiting signs of struggling or hurting or concerning and someone actually recognizes it and speaks up and we connect them with a caring committed adult right that we know by research is the number one protective factor is a caring committed adult that connects with a student that needs help so that's what we try to do and it really takes all of us and i think we're making strides in that area we need to be more robust and deliberate about engaging and having the conversation with our children and also um, teaching them life skills. And we're looking at, do we incorporate that in the education system? Mm-hmm. Knowing that that's a gap. Our, our children are not being raised with as much grit. Um, and we see it, especially in middle-class communities, where we see it in kids that are struggling every day in maybe higher crime rate communities or lower socioeconomics. We are not seeing mm-hmm. the same level of um maybe completed suicides. So we really want to talk about um, young people feeling very well-equipped and really well-prepared and understanding healthy ways of coping with pressures and the stressors that might come into their lives. Well, I love the term grit. I mean, grit and resiliency in my mind go together. And how do we help kids work through those tough things of failure and loss and disappointment and, and, and develop that coping mechanism that's going to take them through the rest of their life, you know, prepare them well. Um, my question for you as we kind of wrap up is, is if we have, a, I mean, we have listeners that are listening from, you know, all over the country here, and if they want to get more involved or if they want to be a, an advocate for legislation that can bring safety to to their area, what kind of things would you suggest that they do? And, and maybe who should they reach out to, to be able to uh, get this amazing tool that we're so blessed to have in Colorado uh, in their state? So I would encourage them to get on the Safe to Tell website at safe to tell dot no, yeah. and that's the number two in there. Um, and that was just a branding we created to make sure that young people would remember it, and they do. But that framework is very sophisticated, and I'm briefing 21 states next week in Oregon at a summit, and uh, I'm seeing more interest. I'm working with the Secret Service at the national level. I do think it's time for people to make sure they're writing their legislators. Legislators are looking for effective legislation that they can pass that will really be meaningful. And what this is, is a measurable outcome. We can show Mm. the effectiveness. Nevada, for example, implemented January 5th. And in the first uh, two months, they had over 1,500 reports. And the number one thing that was intervened in Nevada youth suicide. So we're seeing something around this country that we have a lot of children that are suffering in silence and are hurting. Mm -hmm. And when we can connect them with a system of support, I think that's a huge success. I love it. 
Well, Susan, thank you so much for taking your time of your busy schedule to hang out with us today. We appreciate your friendship and what you're doing in this state, in this country. And uh, we just really, really appreciate you being here today. Well, and I thank you because we can't do it without partnership and collaboration. That's what's gotten us to this moment in time. And we have to continue to grow on those things. And for me, what I see moving forward is that when we have a young person identified and we know they've been connected to resources, Mm. the mother in me wants to know that that child is still doing well a year from now, two years from now, and has that system of support. Um, So thank you for what you do. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining Candid Conversations. If you would like more information, go to mayfieldcounseling.com slash Candid Conversations. And check out our Facebook page, Candid Conversations with Dr. Mayfield.